So we're going to be in the book of Philippians. And my job, or my goal, rather, is whenever I get to a ministry, I want to leave a deposit. I don't want to come without leaving the church, the leadership, and the pastor in a different and better place. And I, I thought about how to encourage you. Um, this is the 40th year of this church. You do so many things in the Bible happen around the number 40. And, and they all represent victory and coming out. In 40 years of victory, this church was started in 1981. I was born in 1981. So I'm turning 40 this year with the church. So I guess this is my year of victory. And I get to come to victory. And I get to add to my resume that I came to victory in Tulsa. Can you believe it? I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Listen, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read verse 13. Now, let me just catch you up. The first, um, the first sermon on Saturday, um, we preached from Philippians 1, where it says that he who has begun a good work in you shall establish it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we talked about he's a promise keeper. How many of you know that God's a promise keeper? And then this morning at 9 o'clock, we were in Philippians 3. Forgetting those things which are behind me, I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the upper call. And we talked about memory loss uh, because I think the enemy uh, to most of our futures and destiny is that we remember too much that there are some things that have happened to you in your life, you're just going to have to forget it and you're going to have to go forward because there is no way that you can simultaneously marry your future and date your past. You just have to move forward and you have to go on. Today, um, I want to talk on this subject uh, from a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. And all of you know it. We can sing, say it together. I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. And I just want to talk on this very simple subject. You can do it. You can do it. And I don't care what anybody says. You can do it. Everybody say you can do it. There was a, a woman uh, named uh, Amelia Earnhardt. Have you, ever, you all have ever heard of her? And, and she was uh, a woman. She was a pilot. Uh, but she grew up in a day where she had talent in her, but she didn't have time on her side. Because in the day that she lived, uh, women in our country were not given the freedoms and the rights that they have today. In those days and times, a woman couldn't even own property without getting permission from her husband, which means if she didn't have a husband, she couldn't own property. In those days and times, women could not vote. In those days and times, women were not allowed to minister in churches. There were so many freedoms uh, that women did not have in those days and times. And I think that any smart man in this room knows that we would not be where we are in this world without strong women. Yeah, that's the truth. And if you don't believe me, go back and read your Bible because every time God did something major in the New Testament and the Old, the men will always sleep. When Eve was created, what was Adam doing? sleeping. When Jesus got out of the grave, where were all of the men? Somewhere doubting. It was a woman that met him at the tomb, and then Jesus told that woman, go tell my disciples and Peter. It's always a woke woman that gets the job done. 
Fellas, stick with me now. If you want to go home and have a place to sleep, you better say amen. Now, your wife is looking at you right now. Tom, if you don't say amen, you're going to be eating Brussels sprouts all week long. Strong women. Strong women. And this woman was a strong woman, even though she lived in weak times. This woman had a desire to be the first solo pilot to fly across the Atlantic. And she was not afforded the opportunity because her dream was bigger than her season. Her dream was bigger than the times. In other words, this is how it's best said sometimes, ma'am. She was ahead of her time. And sometimes you'll look at your life and you'll wonder, why is it so difficult to get that job done? Is you don't know that you are cutting-edge technology. That you have a dream that is bigger than the times, the city, and sometimes even the place in which you live. Sometimes you'll have a global dream, but you'll have local influence, and you'll be wondering, how in the world am I going to get what's inside of me out so that I can impact the world? And yet, you're ready for a world that is not yet ready for you. You have a dream, and you have a, 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 an ambition inside of you. But I want to talk to you about Amelia because she had the dream but she didn't have the opportunity. So what she did instead of being a pilot, listen, she accepted a job as a social worker. What does being a social worker have to do with being a pilot? There is not much symmetry between the two. So then what is the lesson? The lesson is this, that even though she did not get what she wanted. She accepted what she was offered. Oh, I want to talk to you about that. Because even though the odds were stacked up against her, and she was unable to get the job that she wanted, she did something that most people never do. She started. She just simply started. All great people start. Did you hear what I said? All great people they have one thing in common. They're not all tall. They're, all, they're not all black. They're not all white. They're not all rich. They're not all poor. They're not all young, and they're not all old. But what they all have in common is they all start. They start anywhere, at any place, and at any time. They start whether the economy is up. They start whether the economy is down. They start whether they have their family together. They start without it. They start whether they're married. They start whether they're divorced. They start whether they're single. They start whether they're confused. They start whether they're hurting. They start whether they're excited. It does not matter where they are. They just start anywhere, any place, and any time. And I've come to Tulsa to encourage you today that no matter what's going on, no matter who's in office, no matter what your political belief is, no matter what this and what that, just start. It doesn't matter if the economy is ballooning out of control and the budget is in, in, in shambles. It doesn't matter if we're in a pandemic. It doesn't matter if the doors to stores are closing. It doesn't matter. You just got to be, uh, you got to have an ingenuitive mindset and you got to start. And here is what the word of God said in Philippians 1 and 6. He who has began a good work in you shall establish it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? that God has to finish everything he started. When he created the world, 
He created it in six days. What was his last phrase? It is finished on the cross. When he's there, his last phrase, it is finished. Why? Because when he is done, he begins that work in humanity. And when he begins that work in humanity, he attaches it to divinity. And when he takes humanity and divinity and puts it together, we can accomplish things that we never thought we could accomplish in times that we did not think we could accomplish them in record speed. And I want to speak something over your life. You're getting ready to do things in half the time it took your parents to do them. Your parents worked all of their life to get to the end of their life and to have a savings account and a retirement account to make sure that you could have the life that you're wanting to. But I'm speaking in some of your life. By the time you're 40 and 50, you can retire. Why? Because God is going to fast forward the amount of time that it takes for you to reach your destiny and dream. And you're going to be able to teach your children that the race is not given to the swift nor the strong, but the one that endures to the end. Can somebody say amen? And this woman who was a social worker in less than five years from the time she took that job became the first woman to solo fly a plane across the Atlantic Ocean. But none of that would have happened if she would have turned down or turned her nose up at her initial opportunity. Write this down. All masters used to be disastrous. Every person you look at and say, oh my God, they're amazing. Somebody else saw a disaster before you. The NBA saw Michael Jordan as one of his greatest athletes. His high school coach saw him as somebody who needed to be cut. The world looked at Phil Mickelson and said he was too old. Phil looked at himself and said, I'm going to get another major. Because it doesn't matter how they see you. It matters how you see yourself. And let me tell you why the earth is struggling. It's because we have a generation of young people who are coming up and they don't understand the power of doing. Oh, I want to talk. I wish your children were not in children's church today. I wish your teenager was sitting next to you today because our young people today don't understand that we went to work and, and we raised our children while we went to work. And, and, and you have to be a mother and you have to be a cook and you have to be a masseuse and you have to be a counselor and you have to be a mechanic all at the same time. This generation, they all want to be YouTubers. They want to go in a room and get in a mirror and get a microphone and make a million dollars. And it may happen for some, but let me tell you, if you're ever going to make it, you got to get a principle in your heart and you got to work the works of the one that sent you because the day is coming where no, listen, you got to work. Somebody shout work. The Bible says a man that doesn't work, that doesn't eat. And I'm not saying that you won't be able to do it, but we got to teach a generation the importance of doing. Paul didn't say, I can be all things. He said, I can do all things got to learn to do. You got to learn to do something. We got to stop being paralyzed because we're waiting on the economy to bounce back. We got to stop being paralyzed because we're waiting on our Boaz to show up or we're waiting on our Ruth to show up and we're waiting on our wife, our husband. You got to stop being paralyzed and waiting on a certain age. You got to stop being paralyzed and waiting on everything to balance it out. You got to do it right now. Somebody say do it right now. You got to do it while you're hungry. You got to do it while you're tired. You got to do it while you're sleepy. You got to do it while you're rejected. You got to do it while you're in shame. You got to do it why you're frustrated why because God uses broken people to fix things 
And let me tell you, you don't know this yet, but you're going to know it by the end of this sermon. God didn't create you to just be a person. He created you because you are a solution. And let me tell you, whenever you find out what you are the solution to, you get paid in the area of the problem you solve. And the amount of salary that God is going to give you is equivalent to the big of the problem you can solve. People who handle big problems make big money. It's not about your skill set. It's about what problem you can solve. Somebody say, I'm an answer. The lack of doing the lack of doing is the crisis in America. When I look around, there is no way in the world that other countries should be passing us up, but our children are not learning to do. They can Google. When we were in school, we had to read everything. When we were in school, we had to read our books. Our children today can take the test on their phone. What's the capital of... of and they get the answer. They don't know because they don't do. They Google. When I traveled as a, a young preacher, I used to have to take my books with me. Now I carry this iPad because I have 10,000 books on it. I learned to do. There's something about writing the vision and making it plain. There is something. And I know you may say that young man is up there being old school, but there is something about the old school that the new school needs to learn. There is something about doing. There is something about doing. There is something about knowing how to change your own oil. Although I don't know how, I can still preach it and not know how to do it. There's something about knowing how to cook and not just order. I, I don't know if y'all remember this. When we were growing up, the mothers of the house, when you make a good meal, you got to start the day before. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, when you make a good meal, you can't, you can't make a good meal the day of. See, that's a new school thing. You know, when you make a good meal, you got to start the day before. You got to have stuff marinating in the refrigerator. It takes good. You, in order to have good cornbread, it don't come out of the box. Are y'all going to help me here today? In order to have some good dumplings, you got to wrap those things the day before. And you got to make, see, all of this new stuff, this microwave stuff, that's the new generation. But there came a time, anybody know what a crock pot is? When you let the meat in there simmer and it, and it falls off of the bone because good things take time. When I look at this church, I can tell it was built in sections because the school is not the same architecture as the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is not the architecture of the new building that has victory on it. Why? Because they were built in different seasons. And there ought to be parts of your life that doesn't look like the previous season because they were built in different times. But when you put it together, it can be something marvelous. I don't know who I'm talking to. But I wish I had a thousand people who knew that God builds it in stages. I remember Bishop Jakes is my mentor. And as I told you, Pastor Paul and I met with him. And, and I remember one day I was with him and, and I looked at his house and, and I looked at the fact of what, how his aircraft and I looked at his cars and I, and I saw all of that stuff and I was just starting in ministry and he looked at me and I wish it was somebody, anybody here under the age of 30, shout at me. Anybody here 25 and below, shout at me. I'm getting ready to give you the best advice anybody has given you today. I don't know about ever, but at least today. Whenever you see somebody who's doing something great, you better learn to enjoy the distance between them and you. Because what you're looking at is their results, but you don't know what they had to go through to get there. 
When you look at somebody who's been married 25, 35 years, you may say, Lord, I want to be married that long, but you don't know that each one of them has given the other person a reason to walk away. But let me tell you, people who stay married that long, it's not just because they love each other, it's because they decide not to quit and they decide to fight every demon and everything that comes up against it. When you look at somebody with a successful business, it's not that they were genius, it's just that they just kept on trying and they kept pressing toward the mark. And I wish I could encourage somebody to just keep on pushing and keep on fighting and Keep on praying because he who has begun a good work shall establish it until the day of Jesus Christ. Get that bat off your shoulder and swing it. Nothing worse than seeing a baseball player watching all the balls go back. I mean, every once in a while, you got to just try to swing at it. Any baseball players in here today? Every once in a while, you got to just swing at it. And, and, and some of the pitches come and they don't look like what they're going to end up being. You got curve balls and you got drops and you got fast balls, but every once in a while, you just have to swing at it in order to appreciate this particular verse. You have to conceptualize the condition that Paul was in when he wrote it. I can do all things. Paul wrote this book somewhere in the back of a house in a cell in a dungeon on house arrest. No, Paul didn't write this in a synagogue. Paul did not write this while he was in a temple. Paul did not write this amidst a religious gathering. Paul wrote this in a dark place with no lights, no communication, no friends, no Bible, just the word that he had hidden in his life. Can you see Paul in the dark? In a wet dungeon while the rats are nipping at his heels. And they have given him non-sufficient food to make it through the day. And his stomach is pinched with hunger. His lips are parched from the lack of water. His eyes are dry because they have been stuck open trying to find a way. He has not bathed. He's offended by his own odor. And yet he is still able to say, I can do all things. If Paul could do it in a dungeon, you can do it where you live. If Paul could do it where he did it, you can do it where you live. Somebody just has to know that you can do it. Paul did it in chains. He did it with his ankles shackled. He did it with handcuffs on. He said it no matter what. And I came from Houston to Tulsa to tell you. And you can do it. Yes, you. You can do it. Somebody shout, I can do it. But you have to believe it. Paul says, I am not going to miss the power of my moment looking at my condition. Yes, I'm in prison. Yes, I'm overwhelmed at work. Yes, I had to cook. And wash the dishes too. Yes, I have to pick up Johnny's shoes after he wore them all day. Yes, and you know a lot of times, a lot of people don't understand how hard it is to be a man. That a man will go to a job not respected when he walks in. That a man will work around people who are less qualified than him. And then he will walk in the house 
and everybody scatters when he comes in the door. Men, you, I know you can't say men, but all, all men are envious of the fact that, you know, when you women walk in the door, everybody just comes downstairs, hey, mommy. How are you, mommy? When mommy comes in the house, the dog comes downstairs and licks her, and all of the kids come out. When the, when the, when the man comes home, everyone says, here come daddy. When men come home, everybody hides. The dog goes in the backyard and talks to his other doggy friends and says, yeah, he's home. I got to get off of the couch now because I'm in his spot. But let me tell you, amidst all of that insecurity, I came to tell you that you can do it. I wanted you to know that you can do it. And it doesn't matter how it looks because Steve Jobs is one of the greatest modern inventors. But you remember, the board voted him out of the company. You, you do know that, right? That, that they had to ask him back to create all of the stuff that we have now because he was so far ahead. In fact, there's one story that told, that he told one of the engineers, he said, I want a mouse on the computer that can move in every direction because the one that they had was limited. He said, I want a mouse that is diversified and can move in any direction. And the guy who was the head engineer at the moment, he says, we can't do it. You know what Steve did? Fired him. And the guy that he hired had not yet proved that he could build the mouse. He got hired because he said these words. After Steve said, I want a mouse that can move in many directions. Guess what he said? I can do it. You'd be surprised how much God would do with you if you would just say, I can do it. You'd be surprised how much God would give you if you would just say, I can do it. You'd be surprised at how much trouble would leave your life if you would just say out of your mouth, I can. Do it. You'd be surprised what God does with doers. Not just talkers. Not just sayers. Not just readers. But doers. Doers. Now, I don't know what you want to do, but do something. Do something that changes the world. And I was riding in the car with Nate. And Nate was talking about he and his wife, how they adopted six children and introduced these people from all over the world to their children. He said something to me, and I tried to encourage him right back, Pastor Paul. He said, I can't do it on a global scale like you and Pastor Paul, but I can do it on my home level. I said, no. You introduced your children to six people from around the world. And by the time your children finish influencing them and they influence your children, then the influence that happened in your apartment, in your home, in your backyard goes out into the world. So you have to stop thinking that you have to do it with a lot of people to be impactful. If you impact one person correctly, that one person can stump and shake the whole ground. If you just raise your child with a do-it, can-do-it attitude, you'd be surprised what your child can be. And it doesn't matter if your child was born in North Tulsa or South Tulsa. Let me tell you, when God puts his hand on your child, he won't consider their color. He won't consider where they were born. He will look at that child and say, are you willing to do it? Then I will establish it in you. And I speak over your children right now. Wherever they are all over the world, whether they are in the army 
are the Marines, all the armed forces. Maybe they're in children's church. Maybe they're home right now and you wish they were in church because they don't go like you go. I'm speaking to your children right through this camera right now that you're going to come to the salvific knowledge of Jesus Christ and you're going to come running and saying, what must I do to be saved? And you're going to change the world even though your world is breaking apart. And I believe it. And I want them to know that they can do it. I want them to know that they can do it. You all ever heard the story about Ferrari and, and Lamborghini? The guy whose last name is Lamborghini, he wasn't a car manufacturer. He was a man who owned tractors. But he drove Ferraris. And he went up to the Ferrari man because he knew something about engine parts. He made a suggestion to the Ferrari man about how his cars could be a little better. And the man who drove the Ferrari, who owned the Ferrari company, looked at the tractor man and said, your, your advice is not important. Because, see, sometimes you don't understand that there are Ferrari people now, but you have a Lamborghini destiny. And what he did is instead of arguing with the man who owned Ferrari, he went and created the Lamborghini and fixed what was broken in the Ferrari. And then let me tell you something. Some of y'all keep arguing with Ferrari. Would you just become Lamborghini? Oh, no, that, that, I saw somebody in the back who got that. You've been arguing with the Ferrari. Can you just become Lamborghini? In other words, why are you arguing with people trying to convince them of your destiny? Would you just do something and would you just start something so that you can give all of us an alternative? Do you know you could be just as fast? You could be just as beautiful. You could be just as durable if you do something. The only reason why Lamborghini is here now is because he did what Ferrari wouldn't listen to. And he fixed it. And he stopped arguing with them. And that is the story of two of the most famous iconic cars in the history of our world. You've got to do something. Everybody say, do something. I want to get this in your spirit. Stephen King wrote his first novel and was turned down by 30 publishers. And now... He has sold more books than just about any author in the history of the world. You can't decide that you're not good because the first person turns you down. You've got to stop falling in love, listen, with people's first impression of you. It, there's a different version of you. There's a 2.0 you, a 3.0 you. A for God might not do it until the 9.0 version of you. But you should never water yourself down because people can't handle you 100 proof. Somebody shout, do something. Who am I talking to in here today? Who feels like I'm talking to you? Let me give you some better company. You might not like Lamborghini. You might not like Ferrari. You may not like Walt Disney. But I know a man named Jesus. I know a man named Jesus, and let me tell you, when he came here, it didn't look like he was going to do anything. First of all, he was born in a stable. The birds of the air had nests. The foxes of the ground had holes. But this, this Savior had nowhere to lay his head. And then after that, he has a house that doesn't have two people in it that is married because the Bible says that Joseph was to be espoused to Mary, which means that he was born of the Holy Ghost. His parents were not married. That means that his mama is walking around with a baby bump, listening to all of the people talk to her in the beauty shop about that poor little nasty girl that got pregnant at 14 years old and wasn't married. And then, now you see Jesus who has to go and get a job to be a carpenter to help bring 
food in the house and put it on the table. And now we see him nailed to a cross bleeding with a sign above him that says he said he was the son of God. Didn't look like he was until the third day morning. And while everybody was sleeping and while everybody was whispering, he was doing something. The Bible says that he took the cloth off of his head and he folded it up and he didn't even shake the rock and make sure that he walked out of it. And when they came in, they saw that the tomb was empty. Why? Because while they were guarding it doing nothing, he was on the inside doing something. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but I want to talk to somebody who just needs to hear me tell you, do something. Somebody shout, I can do it. Say it again. Say, I can do it. You have to learn to reject people's first judgment of you. If John the Baptist had listened to people, where would he be? You know, when we found John the Baptist, he was in the wilderness wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. Sounds like a rocker. You don't, you don't see that, but I just want you to imagine. Use your imagination. What would you say on Sunday morning? If Pastor Paul comes out here next week in camel's hair and a leather belt, you say, you know what? I knew he had lost his mind. I was worried about him the whole time. Let's have a prayer meeting for the pastor. And here John the Baptist is baptizing our Jesus, eating bugs for dinner. John wasn't worried about what people thought about him. He wasn't worried about where he lived in the wilderness. He didn't care what size his house was. He was not bragging about the size of his 401k. He wasn't arguing with anybody about his diversified portfolio and stock options. He was just too busy doing something. And he baptized Jesus. And it was only when he did that, that there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When you do something, you please God. Somebody say, do something. Look at this. When Paul says, I can do all things, does he literally mean he can do all things? Because you know, we teach our children, you can do anything. But when the Bible says he can do all things, it also says that he has to do those things through Christ. That he does those things, I can do all things in Christ. That's the context. So what that showed me was this. Is yes, you can do all things, but whatever Christ has for you to do, he will supply you the power to do. It's not that you can do all things because there are some things that you were not created to do. So it's not that you can do anything you want, but the thing that he has created you for, you can do. Oh God, I wish I had somebody here who was listening to me. That, that the things that he has for you to do, those are the things that you can do. You know, when I was in college, I won the NCAA dunk contest three years straight. I won it three years straight. Now, when I was 17, I could do that. <laughs> I'm 40 now. And I cannot do the dunks that I used to do. And I can get on this altar and say, I can do all things through Christ as long as I want, but when I leave here, I'm still not going to be able to do that. Why? Because when I was able to, he gave me the power to. But since I am no longer equipped to do that, he has shifted his power on my life, and now I can do this. And the reason why I can do this is because this is what I was created to do. No, I am not perfect. No, I am no better than you, but I am called to do this. And since he called me to do it, I can do it because this is my purpose in the earth. And whenever you find out 
out. I tell you this, the best thing a parent could ever do for a child is to help them discover why they were born. Not leave them. Y'all should have said what like that. That was good. I should have said it just like you. Not, yeah, leaving them a trust fund, that's great. But how many children have you seen with a trust fund with no purpose who blew it? Because when they find out why, if you can teach them their why. Why were you born? Why are you tall? Why do you get math and not reading? Why can't you read but you struggle with calculus? Why were you born? When you show a child why they can do anything. You can do it. You can do anything. As long as you function in Christ, you can do anything. I'll close by telling you this. I remember just like it was yesterday. We were living in a, an apartment building. It was called Lakeside Garden Apartments. And I hope you can take this testimony because it's a true testimony. You see me up here right now, I'm preaching this sermon. And I very rarely, if ever, have told this testimony publicly, but I'm going to tell it now. I was in the sixth grade at the time. I was 12. It was a half a day at school. And this guy... He used to bully me all the time. He used to try to bully me all the time, but I, I just wasn't the kind that could be bullied. Now, my mom taught us not to fight, but she also taught us not to let nobody hit us. So I, wasn't, I couldn't give the first lick, but I sure told him, anything you start, I promise you I'm going to finish. So he would mess with me all the time. And this particular day, he took a chicken nugget and he hit me with it. It's disrespectful, isn't it? You don't hit people with food. And so we, we got into a little scuffle at the school, and the principal broke it up, and they sent me, Pastor Paul, they sent me home first because I was flaming. I was the one. I was hot because, you know, the person who reacts is the person who looks like they started it. So I was ready to go, and he sent me home first. And I grew up in a neighborhood with murderers and drug dealers. I had my first gun when I was 12 years old. It was a 22. And I went home. And I grabbed it. And what you don't know, what's the crazy part about the story? We lived in the same apartment. I lived in apartment five. He lived in apartment two. So I knew that he had to come home. And I grabbed the gun. And I stood in the parking lot. And I waited on him to come home. And as I saw him coming in the distance, I got ready. And here comes a group of kids as a mob walking with him. And he walks into Michigan Court Apartments where we are in Lakeside. And I take the gun and I point it at him. And at the moment, I'm trying to muster the courage to pull the trigger. My mom looks out of the window. And she screams my name, Gian, put it down. Don't do it. I raised you better than that, son, no. And she ran down the stairs. She came outside. She took the gun out of my hand. She said, go in the house. I was angry. 
It was the only time that I remember talking back to my mom verbally. I said, no, I'm going to kill him. He's messing with me. She grabbed me by my neck. You yeah, understand, black mamas is crazy. Something's wrong with them. They just, they just, they different. They don't, you know, it's no time out. It's lights out. That's all we do. And she grabbed me by my neck and yanked me up and threw me in the building. But I was hot. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I couldn't let go. Now she's taking the gun from me only for him to reveal a butcher knife. Now, what was once a knife to a gunfight is a knife to a weaponless person. But he drops the knife and he says to me, I only wanted to be Shocking. Now, I wish I could tell you it ended good like that. I still tried to knock. I fought him so hard. I beat that man, me and my sister. I'm, I know y'all got to pray for me, but I tried to hurt him. I wish I could tell you that the story ended well and we shook hands. No, me and my sister jumped him. We fought him together. She was older and we, I tried to kick him and fight him and everything. And, and we still ended up being friends. He said, why are you telling me that story? How many people in here? Have ever had an incident that almost canceled your entire destiny? Had I allowed what I wanted to do at that moment to actually happen, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you. But what I love about God is He knows all of that and He uses me anyway. He uses me anyway. Jesus doesn't care about your past. He died. He does care. You have the courage to do something. I want to pray over the next five minutes. And if you have enough energy in your body, and you got something that you want to do, but you don't have the courage, the funding, Pastor, I hope it's okay. Can I ask people to come to the altar if you need me to pray for something that you want to do? Wherever you are, just come to the altar real quick. If you want to do something, but you know you need the power of God to do it. If you want to do something. And I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to care about what people are going to say. And if they're looking at you and they say, oh, that person is always going to the altar and they never change anything. They're always the same. This is a different day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And today we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. This church right here, you all did not know that when the pandemic hit and your pastor was crazy enough to rent a forklift and lift himself up on the roof of this church and you all were like crazy people honking your horns in the parking lot, the world was saying, oh, we can still have church even though the doors are closed. You were making an impact and a difference in the world. You don't even know that you did something that encouraged the nation to keep worshiping in spite of a pandemic. You didn't know 
that a church in Houston, Texas was looking at a church in Tulsa saying, we got to be creative because we got to do something. You are a do-something people. You are doers. You don't quit. A church doesn't do this in 40 years if it's built with quitters. Now it's time for you to find out what he wants you to do in your personal life. And know this man, anything he can do in a church house, he can do in your house. God is able to do anything but fail. Did you hear what I said? He's able to do anything but fail. I want us to worship just for a moment before I begin to pray for you because I believe that God is about to break strongholds. He's about to break. He's about to break strongholds. Come on, everybody sing it. Come on and sing it. And say you're never, you're never gonna come on, just sing it right there. You will never, God isn't done. He won't stop until it's good. Do me a favor, everybody shout, it's all good. It's all good. My family is all good. My resources is all good. My marriage is all good. My children is all good. Somebody shout, it's all 
good. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Thank you that you're never going to let us down. Even though we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for thou art with us. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for salvation. Oh, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins. And thank you, God, that you took the nails for us and you took the crown of thorns for us and you gave your back to the cross that we might have a right to eternal life. Thank you that this church, this leader, this pastor, on the centennial of a race massacre, a white man called a black man stood him in the pulpit and let him preach to Native Americans and, and Latino and white alike because this church represents heaven. And we've got the victory. And Satan, we put you on notice that you can come to our house if you want to, but we are ready for battle. You can mess with our children if you want to, but we're coming and ready for battle. You can attack our marriages if you want to, but we are ready for battle. And if you believe it, I want you to release a sound of pride. Come on, I can't hear you. You are good. Team, sing it. You are. You are good. Yeah, yeah. One more time. You are good. You are good. You good. Now lift up a shout of Lord, we just thank you, God, for that word that was spoken. God, thank you for Pastor Keon. Lord, thank you for his ministry. We pray the best days for Pastor Keon and his church are truly right in front of him, right in front of them in Houston, Texas. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. How many of you guys were blessed this morning by that word? Thank you, Keon.